in our work uh, in the cyclotron unit, particularly in the phase after the delivery of the machine which gave us coverage of the whole brain, we suddenly were able to look at normal brain function, which was the great dream. And Raquel had already shown us the way with his techniques. And so away we went, injecting water, as Raquel had shown, and just measuring cerebral blood flow, not getting involved in the oxygen consumption. And we were able to address very basic things. And this is where the, my collaboration with Semizeki was so important, because Semir, of course, had done a lot of very fundamental anatomical work in primates, bringing out this idea of parallel processing, functionally specialized pre-stride areas, and so on. And it became perfectly clear to me that, that one outstanding validation of all of this would be to show something equivalent in the human. And, of course, Semi was interested in it from the point of view of how that then impacted on all his interests in higher visual perception and visual consciousness and so on. So he had a very fruitful time with some um, common fellows. Um, John Watson was a very important one, Christian Lurk. Uh, and that first paper on, 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 on visual colour with the Mondrians, visual motion, uh, then uh, things on patients who... Uh, who had problems with seeing visual motion, um, on blind sight. A whole series of papers came out over the next four or five years, most of them with PET, all of them with PET initially. I mean, there's this famous patient with, with blind sight that, that, that Larry and others had, had examined and that Semir was examining at the time psychophysically. And this is a man who could not see in one visual field, so I think, if I remember correctly, it was to the right of the vertical. Um, though he occasionally said that he had a sort of an impression that there might be some dim something or other going on there. But really, he, he, he was blind. Uh, and, and yet he could make judgments as to whether there was something moving in that field or not when asked to do so simply as a guess. And so he'd get up to 60, 70, 80% correct rather than 50% random, if you force choices between there is and there isn't. And the interesting thing was that when we imaged him, and this, I think this was a very major uh, insight of Semir's and related to his anatomical knowledge, because I was a bit sceptical about imaging people who had lost a function. It seemed to me if you lose a function, why image them? Because you won't see anything. But in fact, in this particular instance, you got activation of the visual motion areas V5, and Semir's knowledge of anatomy indicated that, that might be because of direct pathways from lower areas straight to V5 rather than passing through V1 in the classical way. And then we did some electrophysiological um, studies with colleagues in Germany to show that actually you could detect electrically evoked potentials in these areas before you detected the main volley coming into the primary visual cortex. So it made a very nice story uh, of, of, of new pathways or minor pathways which might become involved under certain circumstances. And that had major implications for the whole concept of redundancy in networks, major implications three, four years on in terms of how um, functions recover when you knock out large areas, how other components of the brain, which are connected but are not usually used in order to subtend a particular function, 
suddenly become engaged and, and interact and, and, and bring about that function to a greater or lesser extent. Mm -hmm.